One thing we used to say in radio is that radio was the theater of the mind. So you would hear a radio commercial and you would hear about something and it wasn't tangible. You couldn't see it, but the mind's eye put it together. So the listener uh, was able to, to put together a vision of what that was um, that they, they loved. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 110 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with the featured artist of the loft for September. Please welcome Terry McDonald. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with Terry McDonald, who is the featured artist of the month month for September. I can talk. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so I got to speak with her, uh, and in our uh, in our communication, we were a little bit. Uh, back, we were back and forth, and then we're on, not on the same page on if it was a uh, over the computer or was in person. So we ended up doing one over Skype, which ended up being fine. It worked out well, um, and uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, I got to learn a lot about her history. Um, so we got a lot into her. Uh, her and her husband actually ran uh, multiple radio stations for a good chunk of their career. Um, as well as a media market or media comp- advertising company and uh, all sorts of stuff. So we get into all of that, um, how they picked up some family traditions um, for their like uh, Christmas dinner, um, as well as how she got started in art, when she got started in art. And she has a different approach to her art that she does. Um, I would say, you know, when I talk to a lot of different artists, um, they they like to they hone their craft and they go deep into certain things. And um, Terry enjoys to like getting deeper on specific aspects of art for sure. Um, but she really likes to challenge herself. So when she feels like she's um, hitting, you know, proficient at something, she's like, well, what if I threw this in? And so we get into all of those things and some of the wackier things that she's tried uh, to challenge herself within art. So, um, and then of course, if you get a chance, be sure to stop in at the loft um, for the month of September. Uh, she's the featured art- artist of the month. Uh, she has some great paintings up here. Um, we talk about those. Uh, so you get a little bit of a, a visual description, um, but be sure to come in and check them out because they're really neat. Um, and I want you to be able to see those. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Terry McDonald. Hey, Islanders, it's Brandon with the Commando Voice. And today I'm here with the featured artist of the month for September, Welcome to the podcast, Terry McDonald. Thank you. So before we get started, oh yeah, before we get started, (laughs) tell us a little bit about Terry. Well, um, I am uh, married uh, to my husband, Jim. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Yeah, we have four daughters who are obviously grown and we have 
nine grandchildren. Um, Lucas is the oldest and he's going to be 20 here um, next month and the youngest is eight. And so as you can imagine, having nine grandchildren keeps you busy. We have lots of teenagers right now. (laughs) So um, I live in Anacortes. Um, We've lived here for about 11 years. We moved here from Port Angeles where we had lived for over 35 years. Okay. And we, uh, we, Love, uh, love Anacortes. It, we were just ready for a change, and it's been very good to us, and uh, we're very happy here. Um, let me see here. I grew up in Iowa, actually, till I was 15. Okay. And my dad got a job at Boeing, and we moved out to Seattle. So then I finished my uh, high school uh, years at uh, Lincoln High School in Seattle. So, um was a little unsure when we moved, but I have become a confirmed Washingtonian now. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a great place to be from. And uh, just yesterday, we were um, out near near Camino um, in Sylvana and that area. And I remarked to my husband how if you don't look at the mountains that you can see <laughs> in the water and you look at the, the cornfields and the farms and the barns and all of that, you almost feel like you're um, in Iowa or the Midwest. So it's it's a very comfortable feeling for me. Nice. What what part of Iowa were you from? Very southwest corner, um, Fremont County. So it's right down near Missouri. And I was actually born in Nebraska City because that was the closest hospital at the time. So I'm just right on the Missouri River. Got it. Okay. Very cool. So you're you are in the like the very flat part of Iowa then, right? Oh yeah. We're yeah. pretty flat. Except we have what's called Luss and it's L-O-E-S-S, I believe, hills, which um um are kind of s- sh- rolling hills. And uh, uh these days they are fairly wooded. Um years ago they were not, but uh so that does break it up just a little. And the town I'm from, Tabor, I I've lived in several towns in Fremont County, but the one I feel like I'm from is Tabor, and it's sort of in the hills. So, okay, um, but they're nothing like our mountains; they're just little hills. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I got to visit uh, Strawberry Wash or Star Strawberry Point, Iowa, for my cousin's wedding. And hmm, so, where's that at? It's it's farther north up, but it's definitely like rolling hills. It's almost if you ever go to Eastern Washington to the Palouse, it's very <laughs> similar to that. Like you're going yes. up and down hills there. So, um, yes. Yeah, so that was my experience of Iowa. That was my only experience, I think. <laughs> Great place to be from. I don't like the weather, but the people are wonderful. So warm and friendly, and and I have a lot of relatives there. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> Very cool. Um, so then, um, so you moved over here, uh, and then uh, you finished up in at Lincoln. Uh, did you end up going to college after that then? Well, I did. I From uh, Lincoln, I went to uh, Seattle Community College. I, um, I'm not sure what that's called now, but I went there and um, I started, this was in 1969, and I started uh, studying computers because that was the new thing. And uh, what I was studying, we were plugging little plugs in like the telephone operators used to. <laughs> And uh, working on all of that type of thing. I don't even remember much of it anymore. But I really quickly discovered that wasn't me. 
<laughs> so um, uh, anyway, I, I did go there for a while. And then uh, later on, I went to Wenatchee Valley College a little bit and Peninsula College. Okay. But, but I never studied art. Okay. Got it. <laughs> my dad and my sister... Our, our, my dad was an artist, just a hobbyist, but he uh, worked in oils, and my sister still is. She has been since she was young. She took lessons when she was uh, starting at 12, and she's a very accomplished artist, and she lives in um, uh, Lake Forest Park. So Okay. What's your sister's name? Her name is Dixie Ringen. And the name Ringen may sound familiar to people on Camino Island because there's an artist uh, there named John Ringen, and he's a wonderful watercolorist, and he is my sister's father-in-law. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Yes. Is, is her artist uh, under just her name, or does she have a, a company name? Yeah, she just has a blog, I believe, and it's Dixie Ringen. Okay. Um, yeah. Very cool. Put that in the show notes. Nice. So then um, when you were going to college, then did you end up, um, where did, did you end up finishing that or did you uh, end up? No, I didn't. Um, I'm, uh, while I was at Seattle community college, I happened to meet my husband. I was pretty young, but uh, it was kind of like "Mm, love at first sight type of thing, you know? And uh, so um, we got married and um, he was just back from Vietnam Okay. Um, he had been there during the Tet Offensive and came back. He had been in the Army, and so he had um, uh, VA benefits. So he, out of the blue one day, said, I think I want to be in radio. I'm going to go to the Ron Bailey School of Broadcasting. And I go, whoa, all right. <laughs> so he did that, and once he graduated, um, we moved to Yakima. He got his first job in radio in Yakima at a – country music station there and okay. neither knew too much about country music. I had, I had listened to some when I was young in Iowa, but uh, we were pretty much both rock and roll type of people. And so okay. it was a big change for us, but we both discovered we really liked it. And Good. we were there for one year and he was getting experience. And then he had the opportunity to move to OMAC um, because there was a radio station there that needed a, um, let me see, what did he come as? Pro- program director, I believe. And um, so we moved to OMAC. And I was just doing jobs I could find at that point in time. I waitressed a bit and and uh, worked in retail. And uh, then I got pregnant and we had our first daughter there. Okay. So, um, um, and not long after she was born, um, the station manager there asked me if I would consider working a couple of afternoons a week because they really needed someone to do copywriting. So um, I started doing that, started doing copywriting, and then I started voicing some of the commercials and things, and that was my start in my radio career. <laughs> okay, very cool. Had you had any experience in copywriting prior to that? Nope. It was learn by the seat of your pants. <laughs> but I, I did enjoy writing in school, and I always pretty much excelled in, in the language arts. So um, I, I think it was natural for me. Nice. Very cool. Um, so then you started in working there, and uh, what kind of happened from there? 
Well, um, as happens in radio, you uh, start out where you can start out and then you find a little bit bigger job and you move there, get some more experience. And that happened to for Jim. He was able to get a, um, a, a job in Port Angeles at KONP, which stands for K Olympic National Park. Okay. And. Um, all of the stations on the western side of the Mississippi start with a K. There's a strip in the middle where some are K and some are W. But so K Olympic National Park. And so he uh, he got a job there, and we moved to uh, Port Angeles, and uh, uh, thought we were going to only be there for a couple of years and move on. And um, that's not what happened. <laughs> okay. We so went on to have another daughter, and then um, um, I ended up, the station owner at the time didn't really want um, husband and wife to work together, so he felt that that was a problem, so I started selling real estate for a while, Okay. and, um, and then all of a sudden, Jim was the sales manager as and uh, he was desperate for some new salespeople, and he convinced George that maybe he should let me work there. So I started. I started into sales, which involves in a small market like that involves a lot of copywriting and voicing, and and it went from there. Okay. So, um, so when you're getting into sales for radio, um, I feel like that's probably something. I mean, we all have listened to the radio. We know it's a very old industry. Um, but what does that look like from the inside for you? <laughs> well, you have to remember this was a small market. So um, small markets, um, particularly back in these days, you have to remember this was the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And Well, let's see. I didn't start till 82, so it was the early 80s. Um, and uh, everyone does a little bit of everything in a smaller market. But um, radio sales is quite different than selling a car or selling art or selling a phone or whatever um, it is that's tangible. What you're selling is an intangible thing. And so it, it, uh, for some people, it's really hard. It's easy for them to buy an ad in the newspaper because when the newspaper comes, they can, they can pick it up and say, oh, look at this. Here's my ad. <laughs> And um, you can't do that with radio. So um, it takes a little bit more um, education of your clients. And uh, and so it was uh, it was uh, a challenge to learn how to do that. But I loved it uh, at the time. It was very, very busy. And I'm not a person that likes to sit around and get bored. So it kept me <laughs> kept me going. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So then, um, so then you you finally were able to actually get started with the radio company. Um, what kind of happened from there? Well, um, George Buck, who was the owner at the time, he um, he decided that he really did not want to lose Gemini, um, and he he was savvy enough about radio to know that you get the experience in a small market and then you move on. And so he offered us. Um, part ownership in the station wow. and, uh, and which was just incredible. I mean, he was so generous. I mean, he, he was looking out for himself too, <laughs> yes. but it was, 
very generous and we will always be forever grateful. And so we made a, an easy way for us to acquire ownership. And so we just, uh, we stayed on and acquired more ownership each year. And um, eventually he was, he was much older than we were. He was our parents' age. And eventually he um, died and we purchased the rest of the station. Okay. Uh, that we did not own. And uh, from his, from his estate. And then a couple of years into that, um, the other radio station in town um, went dark, which means it went off the air. This, the owners just left town in the middle of the night. They were going broke, and which is kind of unusual in radio. Okay. And so because of some changes in the FCC rules, we were able to, with the help of some great attorneys in, in Washington, D.C., get that license as well. It's a lot easier now. Things have changed so much. It used to be we had to keep our our um, tower, um, our, our uh, wattage lower because of Canada, and, and there were just so many requirements that a lot of them have been eased now and things have changed quite a bit. But at that point in time, we felt very fortunate to get that other station. So we ended up with two stations. Wow. and. Even though when we started out in radio, we didn't think we liked country music, we knew what our audience was there in Port Angeles. So we we turned the other station into a country music station and, and changed the call letters to K-I-K-N. Okay. Um, we also, um, we, we fairly quickly realized that it's a small market and there are only so many dollars to go around, and so we needed to augment what we were doing. So we started doing a lot of events. So we began putting on the home show in the area, and along with the radio station, we did a lot of other events, a bridal fair and you know, and then seasonal type events and a country music showdown and, and a lot of events like that. So we were always putting on events as well as running the radio station. And then a few years later, um, the contract came up for the bus advertising in Clallam County. And so we were able to get that. And so then we started doing tangible, tangible advertising, <laughs> something people could see as it went down the road. And, and so we, re we started the company up and we called it On The Move Media. And we did that for a few years. Wow. So as, cool. I, as I mentioned, it kept us very busy. Also... I think we were successful because we realized that um, there are lots of signals out there, lots of reasons people could listen. They could listen to the music they wanted anywhere on the dial, and, and it was starting to come along with the Internet, too. So we knew that what we had to offer was what nobody else could was local information, local news. Mm -hmm. So we really uh, worked hard to be on top of whatever was going on in the community. Um, and we, we knew that the kids were very important. So whatever the schools were doing, we were right there. We, um, we broadcast graduation and the wards assembly. We did the little, some of the little league championships games. We did the high school sports. And along with that, we did the, the Mariners, the Seahawks and the Sonics back 
back in the day and University of Washington football. So we had a lot of sports and, uh, but we made the community our number one and that gave people a reason to tune in to find something they couldn't find anywhere else on the dial and to hear their grandchildren or their grandmother or their neighbor or themselves on the radio. Very cool. So one of the questions I had is, um, you know, I know events are always one of those interesting things that that businesses or organizations put on. Um, and one of the ones, you know, we, we put on events here at the Commons. Um, uh-huh. And for us, it, it benefits us, one, as a, it inputs energy back into the community. Um, but it also brings people to the complex that maybe have never been here before. Right. So for a radio station, what is the business reason for events? Well, um, it, it did a little of the same thing. It, um, it promoted the station, the awareness. They would go to the event. They would see that it was put on. They would meet with us face-to-face. They could get information about our programming if they didn't know and um, just made us a part of, of their schedule. And, and sometimes uh, it got them into the station for various things and just so we could um, introduce them to our, to us. Also, um, we, you know, we were a business, we had 20 employees, we had to pay the bills. So they, it did add another line, a revenue stream to company as well. And I was kind of in charge of keeping us all afloat because I ended up being the sales manager and, um, promotion manager and those kinds of things. So that was kind of my bailiwick. So, I was always looking at the bottom line and and um, that was a way to augment what we were doing because with radio, um, you can't add an extra page. Like the right. newspapers, they can add four extra pages if they have a good sales day. Radio stations can't do that. They only have so much time. So when we're sold out, yes, we can raise the rates a little, but we don't want to anger our clients either. It's a, it's a fine balance. So, yeah. This was a different way to add another revenue stream. In fact, for a little while, we even did a little um, good news kind of newspaper for a while just to to augment what we were doing. But that that was that fell on my shoulders. And I quickly, after about a year, said, "Uh -uh, no more. (laughs) (laughs) I need to see my family sometimes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say also part of our philosophy was that we were a part of a lot of the uh, activities that went on in the in the community. So my husband was in Rotary. I was in Seroptimus. Uh, I was on the Hospital Foundation um, board. I was Red Cross of uh, Campfire. You know, we were mm-hmm. all involved in the community and all of our salespeople and some of our on-air people. We paid for them to belong to Kiwanis and go to the Downtown Association and all of those kinds of things. The yep. Chamber of Commerce, you name it, we were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, and um, radio, like as a business model, radio has always seemed something to me of um, when I think about it is just a very um, like high intensity um, uh, like, like never off the clock. Uh, you know, everyone that's a business owner feels they're never off the clock, but 90% of businesses do close at some point, but like radios don't. So I feel like you guys are just constantly on the clock and there's constantly like trying to fill that next ad space because you may only have ads for the next week and then it stops. 
You are so right. You are so right. We were always going. I mean, I literally in my office had both radio stations going at the same time. So I was listening to both of them at the same time. Oops, that's that commercial is supposed to air. Why is that doing that? Oh, my gosh, this is wrong. <laughs> so it was all the time. And another example of just what you said is, um, and this is going to sound silly, but our, our family, our traditional Christmas dinner is lasagna. Even though we haven't been in radio for 20 years, lasagna is still our meal. And why, you ask? It's because we gave all of our employees the day off on Christmas, you know, uh, because we were 24-7 type of business that just uh, didn't uh, happen very often. So um, we would go in every Christmas morning. The kids, we would get up really, really early and have our Christmas with the kids when they were little. And then we would all go down to the radio station, and we always sold this special Christmas music, um, and we would play that all day. The kids would sometimes even voice some of the little uh, blurbs that we had. Uh, And when it was time to eat, the easy thing to do was lasagna because I could get ahead of time, put it in the oven. So we had our Christmas dinner there, and it was always lasagna. So. That's yeah. very cool. But then, because we were so nice, we took the whole week off after that because the kids <laughs> kids were home and we went skiing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, I just imagine that must have been, like, it's got to be very difficult to balance. I mean, it's always, there's always that balance, but with a radio, like, you guys go on a vacation, like, you're constantly have to be aware of what's going on back, back at base. Exactly, exactly. But that's where also... We were very, very fortunate to have some really loyal, really capable employees. And um, while we were gone, they were able to hold the fort down. And we we felt pretty confident most of the time that they could they could handle things in our absence. And they proved themselves. They did. Nice. That's very cool. So then you guys were running both of these radio stations and and going on. Um, what kind of prompted you guys to um, look to retire or move out from it? And then um, how did that come about? Well, um, as, as we've kind of outlined here, it was very intense, very uh, uh, time consuming. We had, we were raising our kids at that point in time and they were involved in lots of activities. And frankly, we just wore out. We were just, we were burned out. We were so tired and we just wanted to rest. And so we decided that uh, if we wanted to live to be an old age, that we needed to make some changes in our life because the stress was really getting to us. So we made the decision to sell. And when we sold, we actually sold each of the stations individually, not together, because that's what what came together. And um, we kept the um, on the move broad or on the move media, the bus advertising business for three or four years after that. Okay. And and then sold that. And we stayed in Port Angeles because Jim's mother was um, um, older, and it was just going to be too hard on her to move her. Mm-hmm. So um, we stayed there, and we loved Port Angeles, but we were really ready for a change because we were we were still. Even though we were out of it, it was still there was still that stress there, and yeah. we lived there for a long time. And we do have a little bit of wanderlust, so um, 
we decided we want to do something else. And our oldest daughter, Lisa, was had moved to um, Anacortes, and so we'd been up here a lot visiting her. Yeah. And um, we liked it a lot. And so once Jim's mother passed away, she was 98, and she lived a long, full life, um, we uh, decided to move. Um, of course, it was right in the middle of the 2008 housing oh, yeah. crunch. We had a little trouble selling the house, but we did. We found a house here, which we still are remarkably living in. We've lived here 11 years, and that's the longest I've ever lived in one house in my entire life. Wow. <laughs> so, um, and we've just absolutely loved it here. Yeah. So, and then um, Lisa was here, and she has two daughters, and eventually our uh Youngest daughter, Jill, she had stayed in Port Angeles, but last June she moved here too. So nice. we have two of our daughters here, and then one's in Kirkland and one's in Portland. So, okay. so we have lots of family around us. It's great. Nice. Very cool. Um, yeah, I've always loved uh, Anacortes. I love going and visiting there and stuff. But it's, it always, it's very similar in some ways to, uh, to Camino because it's that like, it's a little ways out of the way, but you still don't have to take a ferry or anything. And within itself, it really is its own community, um, yes. apart from yes. anything else. Yes, I, I, I can see those similarities. And and we've been, um, since I started putting my art in um, Lydia's gallery there, we have been going to Kameno a lot more. And um, actually, we started with that Mother's Day um, event that you had there yeah. at the Comet. That's yeah. how we got up with Lydia and we are really finding it to be a great place. Great. That's awesome. So, so yeah, shifting into that a little bit, you have had a very busy life up to that point. How did you get started in art and when, when kind of was that? <laughs> well, I didn't pick up a paintbrush until after we had retired. Okay. Because when, when I was younger, my dad and my sister painted, but I was always playing baseball or I took piano lessons or doing other things. I never wanted to do that. But when I retired, I quickly realized that uh, I don't sit around very well. I don't do board well. I needed to find an outlet. And we frankly thought we'd only be retired for a couple of years and then we'd probably start another business. But we like being retired and we didn't do that. <laughs> Okay. So I needed something to uh, fill my time. So um, I picked up a paintbrush and started trying to pick it up on my own and quickly determined that I needed some help. So I took um, a few workshops. I'd started in watercolor, and my first workshop was a week-long workshop from Eric Weigard, who is down on the Long Beach Peninsula, okay. very uh, – very accomplished watercolorist, and I was so lost in that workshop, but I came home and realized I had learned more than I thought, and then one time when I was up visiting my daughter Lisa, I had gone to the Anacortes Arts Festival, and I encountered Jennifer Bowman, who is a very um, wonderful artist here in town, and she was teaching lessons, so I signed up for some of her lessons. She was teaching acrylic, and um, um, I took a, a couple of acrylic lessons and put away my watercolors and never went back to them. Okay. And uh, so per, pretty much I use acrylics now, but I do 
add in other mixed media. But I took uh, workshops from Jennifer. I took some private lessons. I've taken workshops from lots of people like Dottie Burton, who lives there on Camino, um, uh, Jackie Beck. Um, uh, oh, just lots of people. I've, I, I'm continually taking um, some lessons just to uh, raise my skill level and and I just uh, just started progressing, and pretty soon um, art became an obsession. <laughs> and we found it really filled a little niche that we had. Um, as you can tell, we were in the public eye a lot. We were around people all the time at the radio station, out working in the community. And being retired, we were kind of missing that. And we found that uh, once I started getting a little bit more accomplished and we we tried to do a couple of art shows we discovered that that filled that little need that we had of being around people yeah but we were able to back away and do our retirement thing and when we wanted to we could go out and be around a lot of people so it's fiddled a lot of um, of our needs and my husband is is he he says he's not an artist but he's very good but anyway <laughs> He's very much a part of my business. He does all my wiring, my framing. He calls himself my Sherpa, so he sets up my booths when I'm going to shows, and I really couldn't do it without him. Very cool. So um, I was talking to Lydia. I had, I had seen your art that you'd brought into the loft, which I want you to talk about in a minute. Um, but she mentioned to me that um, that you, on top of just learning to do art and, and you know, continue to uh, hone your craft at it, that you also like to do challenges to yourself when you do art. Can you uh, go more into detail into that? Well, I, um, I like to do a lot of different things. As I mentioned earlier, I get bored easily. So I'm just not going to be the kind of artist, and that's probably to my detriment, that is going to just stick with one thing and really get very good and be well known for this one type of art. It's just not in me. And um, so I'm always looking around, seeing what other talented people are doing and then trying to do what they do. For instance, we were in England uh, two or three years ago and we were in a gallery and I saw this artist that was doing these wonderful animals and birds on a white background was very loose showing all of his pencil marks and all of his work he was throwing paint on it so it was loose and splashy and i fell in love with it so i couldn't wait to get home and try that so i have one little genre of work that is like that in fact two of the paintings that are at lydia's right now are like that but Generally, people know me for some pretty vibrant colors, okay. and those are not quite as vibrant as some of the other things. But that's just one example of of going from you know lots of color to something that's a little bit different. And you know, I'm just always trying new things. So that and that will continue forever, I'm sure. My love right now is mixed media. I just absolutely love mixed media, and that is putting. Um, a lots of different medias together. I can use my acrylics. I I uh, can use markers. I can use uh, pastels. I take papers, fabrics, uh, found items like keys and things like that, and put those into uh, a painting. And sometimes they're um, 
um, some, uh, objective type of paintings, like a bird or this or that, or a pot of, uh, I have one that I just did not too long ago. There's a pot of tulips or sometimes my real love is real, um, non-objective abstracts. I really like that. I like the challenge of putting the colors and the movement together and it's much more challenging than trying to paint a bird or paint something else. I, I, I just love abstracts. Yeah. So, so, and this is, this might be true for a lot of like non art aficionados and stuff, but one of the things I struggle with is abstract. Like when I'm looking at art, um, I've seen a lot more since Lydia's and, uh, you know, Jed before her, I saw a lot of art styles and a lot of things. Um, and then I've seen some a lot at the art shows, but abstract is one I still have, like, I just don't necessarily see it. So what is it in abstract that one that maybe you're attracted to in it and two, when you're painting it, that you're kind of feeling you're going for? You know, I think um, one thing we used to say in radio is that radio was the theater of the mind. So you would hear a radio commercial and you would hear about something and it wasn't tangible. You couldn't see it, but the mind's eye put it together. So the listener uh, was able to, to put together a vision of what that was um, that they, they loved, you know, or they felt was valuable or whatever. So it made, made it, tangible to them. Whereas for somebody, they, two people could hear the same radio commercial and they might come away with a little different feeling, each of them because of their own inclinations. I think abstracts are a little bit that way. Um, what I love to do when I'm doing an abstract is because people, or when I'm showing an abstract, I should be, should say, uh, people have a tendency to want to make it makes sense to them. They want to see something in it. And so I will have a painting there and I love it when people come up and they go, Oh, look at this. Oh, I like the colors. Oh, look, there's an owl over there. Oh, look, there's a river, you know? And then um, I'm looking at it going, hmm, well, I didn't see that when I did it, but it's there and they love it. And so I'm happy. I remember I was showing in Chelan one time and this family came in and I had this painting up and um, it was kind of a pink and gray and had a little blue and white in it. And, and this family uh, was interesting. It was a grandmother and a couple of sisters and some a couple of little kids. And they decided to all look at this painting and see what they could see in it. And I was just in love standing there listening. I mean, one little girl even goes, oh, look, there's a cat with glasses on. <laughs> so that painting to her was a cat with glasses on. So abstracts in a way can be whatever the viewer wants them to be. And they are really, I know a lot of people go, eh, my two-year-old could have done that. Until you start trying to paint them <laughs> and you find that abstracts are harder than doing something else. And it's all about color, balance, composition, marks, movement. Um, it's, it's very difficult to do and do it well. And um, 
I have some that I'm very happy with and some that I hate, but that's normal <laughs> with any artist and anything they do. <laughs> oh, very but, cool. but when I'm having fun, I'm doing those. Nice. Nice. So, um, so yeah. So tell us about the pieces that you decided that you brought into the art for your uh, featured month. Well, I, I did um, specifically do just a kind of a, a wide variety. I have two, um, that are of the white background, um, the splashes. One is an, it's quite large. It's an eagle flying up to its nest. And the other one is a kingfisher, which I love little kingfishers. There used to be one I watched all the time on the peninsula when we lived there. And so I have those two. And then I brought a couple um, just prior to being um in the show, I did fresh paint in Everett, and as part of that festival, they require that you work on art while you're in your booth, and so you're demonstrating. So um, a couple of the paintings that I demonstrated while I was there, I put um, in. One, one is poppies, and it's bright oranges and reds and nice blue background. And the other one is a little owl, which I use lots and lots and lots of little tiny pieces of papers and all sorts of things. And I, I called it an owl of many colors. So his feathers are all each different pieces of paper in different colors. And so he's a fun and he's a small one. I, I tried to bring um, a variety of sizes. So I had some that were a couple that were fairly large and some that are a little bit smaller. I also have a little wren there. I do a lot of birds. I like birds a lot. Yeah. Little wren. And that one I had done as a as a demo for a class I taught. And uh, what else do I have there? Oh, I have some sunflowers because they're one of my favorite flowers. And, I, and it's a mixed media piece. So I have lots of papers in there and it's, it's a bright, um, bright painting as well. And I think there's one more there, but I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> okay. No, that's great. That's awesome. And they range, you know, there's a wide range of prices there. I think uh, down to about $85 up to, I don't know, five or so. Okay. High five. Right. That's great. The the, um, uh, the kingfisher and the eagle are the two that really stood out to me when I was looking at the wall. Um, the kingfisher was really cool. Like the the contrast between the white background and the the bird yeah. and everything. Yeah, I, I just love that. And I've done a whole series of those. I've done oh, I did a fox. I've done roosters. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I did several crows. Crows are a favorite topic and for painting for me and and I find a lot of my customers like crows people I found that people either are in two camps they absolutely love crows they think they're so smart they're so interesting or they hate crows and I wouldn't want to have that in their house so um <laughs> so I, I I enjoy doing them because they do have a lot of character and I like being able to show that quirky character in my in my paintings so I've done a lot of crows so I'm sure there are oh and a lot of owls in that series too so but I'm okay. sure there are will be more more in that series coming down the pike right now um I'm getting ready for a show in um, November. I do every year at the Majestic Hotel here in town. So um, I'm getting started on getting some new paintings for that. So 
that I think the theme is going to be some uh, birds, but with patterns in the background. So it'll be some fairly bright colors and the birds won't necessarily be in nature, but they will have some different patterns in them. And I'm going to do the, the four, the five main pieces are, will be that feature. And then I'm not sure after that. So that's okay. my new challenge right now. <laughs> Very cool. Well, that's, that sounds great. I look forward to seeing some of those. All Great, right. Thanks. So I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Well, um, you, you cheated and let me have a, a peek at those questions. So I got one, got it out. It's this, this is a Posca P O S C A marker. I bought, you can buy them individually and I bought several of them. Um, I may have spent a little more than a hundred is if you know, if you're not into art, you know that it's expensive to buy all your products and things, but I'm loving them. They're acrylic markers. And if you know anything about painting, you can mix any acrylic product with any other acrylic product. So I can put these in my paintings and I can do a little bit uh, more, uh, line work in these that's a little more exacting than doing it with a brush and it just gives a different feel so I got all sorts of different colors blues and pinks and whites and blacks and reds and I just love them and they're about oh seven or eight dollars a piece so I bought Very several cool. that's my favorite nice all right pretend you have a friend coming from out of town what would their first day look like well, it would depend on where they were coming from. If it was a relative of mine coming from the Midwest, I would probably want to take them across on the Guimas Ferry because they never get on boats or maybe take them out whale watching because everyone seems to absolutely love that. It makes sure that we walk, drove around in the farmlands a bit and that we, if it was this time of year, we could um, end up the day at the rooftop at the Majestic Inn. There's a, a bar up there that overlooks the entire town. And if you go in the evening, you can watch the sunset from up there. And it's just absolutely stunning. Oh, very cool. All right. Uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person uh, that I should interview next? I think that you should interview a gentleman by the name of Bruce Skinner. He is uh, the executive director of the um, Olympic Peninsula Hospital Association in Port Angeles, but he has had quite the life. He used to be the director of the Fiesta Bowl. He used to be the executive director of the International Festivals Association, which is an association that festivals from all over the world can belong to. So all of the big ones like the Kentucky Derby, the Indianapolis 500, um, all of the big ones, plus a lot of smaller ones too. Um, um, they all belong to that and they learn the ins and outs of putting on festivals. And he is probably the most knowledgeable person in the United States and maybe in the world for putting on festivals and events. He is a treasure Very cool. and really nice person. Nice. All right. Sounds good. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? Go with your gut. Quit listening to everybody else. <laughs> if I'd have done that a long time ago, I'd have been a lot better off. <laughs> well, very cool. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been fun. Thank you for asking me. I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Terry McDonald for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Hey Islanders, it's Brandon with the Camino Commons Market. Or bleh, let me start that over. I'm starting with the wrong <laughs> <laughs> wrong company. <laughs> it was a dry run. It's fine.